Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast, episode nine, and we're feeling fine. As Good we job. Get, as we get ready. Way to, to rhyme. Yeah, absolutely. If it rhymes, it climbs. And I know hopefully <laughs> our uh, listeners feel the same way because uh, I haven't planned any rhymes for today, but I'm going to look for some now that we've opened this way. <laughs> there once was a man from Nantucket. Right. Well, maybe not that one. We're going to skip that one. But in today's episode of the podcast, we're go- we understand that um, all dog owners you know, probably have busy lives outside of taking care of their four-legged family member. And this is especially important to remember when you have a puppy. You know, we've had a puppy in the house uh, for the past uh, handful of months. And um, you, if you haven't had a puppy in a while, sometimes you forget how much work it can be. So much work. But it is important to have some strategies for if you have a busy life, how you can still get some training in it. And Shannon's written this, written this really written. <laughs> Shannon has written this really great article about uh, how to train when you have a busy life. It, you know, this is, um, as we talk about it a little bit, I'm thinking about all of the people who maybe their life has been different for the past 12 or 14 months, and they're starting to return to somewhat of a more scheduled, more normal life that we had before. Yeah, normal looks different these days, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And this could present some challenges if you're a new dog owner, because I know so many people uh, are new dog owners. So I want to uh, dive into this topic. I think it's going to be really helpful. You know, I see a lot of uh, comments and questions that come in to us saying, you know, we'll talk about a strategy for management or something like that. And someone will say, well, what do you do if you work an eight hour day? And, and you know, that is a that's a common question, uh, but it also requires a fairly specific answer. And uh, we'll, we'll dive into some of these things as well as getting an appropriate amount of training in for your uh, puppy or your young dog in training. So Shannon, where, where does this, when you wrote this article, where did this come from for you? I actually put together a workshop called um, Training When You Don't Have Time to Train a couple of years ago, and it had some really, really great ideas in it. And I thought that uh, it was a good time now that people are starting to ramp up with their lives again. Some people are going back to work outside of the house. So our attention is now being taken away from these new dogs that we got through COVID when we had time at home. So it's nice that we're returning to life, but we definitely won't have as much time as we did at one point. Or maybe you just have a busy life to begin with all around. There's all sorts of really, really wonderful ways that you can get in extra training repetition and extra understanding for your dog without necessarily setting out for a big 45-minute training task. Yeah. And uh, part of this is people will often ask, you know, uh, my training works great at home or, or my training works great when I put my bait pouch on. But as soon as I change something up, my dog doesn't listen anymore. And a big part of the, this conversation today uh, will be integrating your training into your daily life, really teaching your dog that, uh, you know, uh, what do you, how do you call you training time or no training mode is a hoax. Training mode absolutely is a hoax. So because dogs are learning all the time, we want to be doing some form of training all of the time. And that sounds exhausting, but it's really not. If you go about it in a little bit of a strategic way, you can get in all sorts of training repetition in your day in the small time windows that you might have. You know, I've used, um, I've used commercials in TV as an example 
example. I don't want to sit there and watch the commercials, and nobody really does these days, so I should probably come up with a new example. But if you've got two minutes that you have to suffer through a commercial, then you can head to your dog and get in some repetitions of a trick that you've been working on or do some changes of position. You know, it doesn't take long to set up for a training session like that. And we don't all have 45-minute windows where we can set out with our bait pouch on and go out and train our dogs. So it's really important that we continue to look for small windows in our day. You know, the, the times where you know you've got time, when you're making coffee, right? You put the coffee maker on in the morning, you're waiting to get your first cup in there, what are you doing with your dog? You know, there's an opportunity where you could be doing some uh, some repetition of skills so that you can help them build that understanding. And it also gives you an opportunity to look for different times in your day so that they get some acclimation when, for example, you're in the living room versus in the kitchen or when maybe you're out waiting for the school bus to come and pick up the kids, you can work with the dog in that little window, et cetera. There's all sorts of great little windows where you can get in some extra training time. Yeah. And I know that we, um, with Euchre, uh, as a very specific example, there's a, she'll often get a a little wily at about eight o'clock or eight 30 at night. So we know that uh, for, for, at some point before that, before she starts to make bad choices, Mm -hmm. Kale or I, most of the time it's Kale. Kale uh, absolutely loves training Euchre, like just enjoys the process. Uh, she's also so great at it. And you just see Euchre tired out after a simple five minute exercise of some kind. But before she gets to that wild and crazy point, that witching hours, some people refer to it, we'll do something with her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and rather than allowing her to uh, rehearse getting puppy burns <laughs> and going totally wild at yeah. 830, we'll do something before that. Um, we did need to pay attention to her schedule and, and the choices that she was making to identify that uh, the 830, around 830 in the evening was a time when she would go nuts. Yeah. But um, once we did, we started to build in and maybe even it's a couple short training sessions. Here's an example. You know, often uh, and lately, Kale's really enjoyed making uh, those meal kits and mm-hmm. she's doing a great job of it. But while she's doing that, that's a great opportunity for me to go out and play fetch with Euchre, yeah. you know, for because otherwise it's too hard to manage a puppy and be focused on doing something like preparing food or whatever the situation is. Um, so the best thing we can do is get her out, you know, get her brain focused a little bit, maybe even a little physical exercise. And then if she's tired, we can bring her back in and Kale is able to focus on one thing while we ask Euchre to go lie on a bed. Or if not, Euchre can we can just pop her in her crate for those few minutes. You know, it's so important to figure out these tiny little training sessions throughout the day so that your puppy never really learns that, okay, bait pouch is on, it's after their dinner time, it's time to listen. Yeah. You know, listening becomes part of the everyday. Absolutely, absolutely. And those two, two to five minute training session windows, they are fantastic for working skills because dogs cement to permanent memory like us through periods of rest. Mm-hmm. So if you do a short training session and then you let them have a little bit of downtime, they have a much better chance of retaining that. And then the next session that you start to work, you know, your next two minutes on that particular skill, you're going to have a much easier time getting that repetition in because they will have cemented to long-term memory a little bit nicer with a period of rest in between. So it all works out so nicely. I tend to do things with um, 
with my dogs like at, when I'm pooper scooping the yard. It's a great time to work on building some response to name and, you know, fun games in the yard, etc. I'm busy. I know I'm going to be out there. I know my dogs are going to be out there with me. I've usually got about two minutes to go. I don't have that big of a yard. So I've got about two minutes where I go through the yard and make sure that I've caught everything. And during that window, I will frequently work on calling my dogs names and just getting in a quick reward. A lot of the times it's just a, a butt scratch or a little play session in the yard, or I might kick a toy for them. But basically it's just an opportunity to build more value for them responding to their name. And I'm not really setting out to train, yeah. but I'm getting in lots of valuable repetition. Yeah. And I, I really like that idea. The other thing that uh, it really makes me think about is you need to have some expectations, number one. Number two, you need to understand that although you're out pooper scooping in the yard, that can't be the focus if you're also working with your dogs. You know, that can't be the only thing you're thinking about looking at. Uh, for Kayla and I, as an example, uh, we'll ask Euchre to go lie in her bed and we'll give her a bone to chew on while occasionally while we're having dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll sit at the table and... Uh, the expectation is that she remains on her bed. And I know that even though we're eating dinner, if we've asked that of her, we need to help her to be successful. If she gets us to bed, we'll just guide her back to the bed. Absolutely. And like that is a good 20 minute to half an hour window of dog training that yeah. you get to do. And you're not really dedicating that time to training. You're eating dinner. You'd be doing that anyway. So it's this extra side benefit. And while it's happening, the dog is getting this great message that begging at the table is not an option. Laying on your bed, you're probably going to get some rewards and reinforcement for doing that while mom and dad sit and have dinner. Yeah, there's um, a lot of conversation about the idea of multitasking and how there's no such thing as multitasking. What people who are considered good multitaskers can do is switch between areas of focus more quickly. So uh, in this case, you're switching between whatever it is, eating your dinner, doing something that's moderately or mildly distracting, as well as dog training. But you're never just focused entirely on that one thing. You're able to switch back and forth. And uh, ultimately, the expectations you set for your dog are uh, the most important thing. The the Because this is this is part of your big picture dog training too. Your do- yeah. You want your dog to understand that if you ask them to do something, uh, that they need to do it. Absolutely, 100%. And I think that this is where dog trainers really sort of earn their stripes. It's not through the time in and the experience, although those things are very, very important. The difference with dog trainers is we know that we have our expectations set and we know that chances are the process is going to derail somewhere in there. It's not a linear process by any stretch of the imagination. There's always going to be loopholes thrown into things. And, you know, our our dogs are learning all of the time. And that means that some of the things that we don't want them to learn might present as an issue as well. But the difference is that we know we can keep our expectations where they are and just go through, you know, things like the distraction ladder, for example, working through systematically to get to the point where they do reach our expectations is entirely possible. Yeah. The uh, energy you reward is one of the titles Mm -hmm. in your article. Let's talk a little bit about that because this is, and again, I haven't completely read through your article, but I think I know where you're going with this. And I think this is what differentiates, uh, uh, this speeds up a dog's learning Mm -hmm. because you're acknowledging that extra effort. Yeah, absolutely. And this actually speaks to rituals in your day. So what we want to be able to do is use the rituals in our day to get an extra training as well. Um, We all have 
specific rituals that are going to happen every single day. I, I can think of a couple right off the bat with my own dogs. Feeding time is going to happen every day, usually twice a day. <laughs> and I ha- I can use that opportunity to create a ritual that instills manners and reinforces manners. When I take my dogs for a walk, I can use that ritual to set the tone for the walk and meet my expectation. Or I can use that ritual to let my dog learn that he can do whatever he wants in that ritual. For example, if I started my walk by letting him pull me out the door, that is going to ritualize that behavior and it's basically going to set the tone for the walk. So my expectation being really high, it's going to be hard for me and my dog to meet that expectation because I didn't have a good start to that ritual to begin with. So when we're talking about rituals, how we start those things, how we work through those things, it it gives our dogs such a powerful message about how they can act in day-to-day life. Um, You've heard me talk about Reggie being a walking stomach. I mean, the dog just lives to eat. It's his number one most important thing. It's his reason for being. Yeah, He's such a little piglet. So if I were to allow him to just dive into the food bowl, that would become the expectation that I set. But instead of that, I want to make sure that he has to show me good manners around the food bowl. So that is something that I ritualize. Every single time that dog gets a meal, he needs to be sitting, the bowl needs to be on the ground, and he needs to clearly wait for me to release him to that bowl. And these days he's deaf, so he also gets a hand signal with that. But that's been his whole life. And for 13 years, every single time that dog has had a meal, we've worked through this ritual. And that bleeds over into other things. It makes him be more thoughtful in other areas because... One, if he's not thoughtful and he tries to dive for the food bowl, I'm going to pick it up. He doesn't get to eat. So it's not an option for him to be rammy like that. If he really wants to eat, he has to show self-control. And that ritual just basically affords him the opportunity to learn that self-control is part of this game. And that's a great way to get in some extra repetition and some extra practice, especially with those mealtimes, especially with the walks. So many people ask us, you know, uh, well, what do I do if my dog's not super food motivated? And uh, Shannon, you've talked several times about uh, you have a dog that is really rewarded by running to water. And this is, this is, if you can unlock for your dog, that thing, that ultimate reward, it will change you as a dog trainer. It it will, uh, it will give you so much uh, uh, opportunity for the most, the the best reward. It'll give you so much opportunity to to motivate your dog, but you do need to understand what does your dog love? It doesn't necessarily need to be food. Yeah. And you can gateway those things. So Ned learned to listen to me exceedingly well around water because I made sure that he understood I'm the doorway to get to the water. You don't get to go in the water unless you, I've given you permission and you've listened to me first. So, And that sounds really militant, but it's not because he was a dog that as soon as he saw water, that was all he could think about and he wanted to be there. It wouldn't have mattered if he saw water across a busy road. It wouldn't have mattered if he saw water in somebody's backyard. He might have gone and crashed in somebody's pool at some point <laughs> if I hadn't taught him that he had to listen to me around water. So basically what I did is I took the option of, the, of him finding his own fun with the water, I took that away. So he's not allowed, he wasn't as a puppy in training. Now he's, you know, he's well-trained enough that I can say, okay, go swim with him off leash and it's a non-issue. But um, as a puppy, all he wanted to do was just burst to get to the water. So I had to control that, which meant I needed to use my training aids. I needed leash on. I needed to work first at building some of his skills away from water so Mm -hmm. that he had a clue what he was supposed to do. Because as soon as the water was in in the picture, he forgot about everything else. 
He just, and this is where people start saying their dogs are stubborn and it's not stubbornness. I know it seems like that as it from a human perspective, but it's not stubborn. It's that they are so enthralled. This is the Disney world for them. You know, they're, they're just about to get on the roller coaster and it's so exciting and they're screaming and they're ready to go. And you're trying to get them to learn math. Like this is not, it's not a comfortable situation for them or you. So we need to have a little bit of understanding first. Okay. We've done all our math foundation homework outside of Disney world first. So the water is not in the picture when I've taught my dog things like response to name and, you know, maybe keeping a loose lead, things like that. I would do that outside of the realm of the water first, and then I would bring the water into the picture, but I'm the gateway to it. So you need to successfully turn on your name and give me focus before you can get to that water, which of course, the water being such a huge reward, it makes the dog love their response to name and performing for it because that's the gateway to the water. And eventually it just becomes the default listening behavior, right? The more you practice it, the more value that you build for them doing the right thing and listening to you, the more your dog is going to want to do the right thing and listen to you. There's a big difference between getting food or reward from you and getting it through you. Yes. And um, you mentioned briefly uh, about being militant. It might sound militant and I'm okay with that. I'm okay if that feels sounds militant because ultimately I know that's what's best for the dog. I want them yeah. to really understand that uh, if they put in just a little bit of work, they get whatever it is they love. I'm I'm willing to give them whatever makes them happy, but mm-hmm. they're going to have to put in a little bit of effort because in reality, we're, you know, I love um, a couple of episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, you talked about... Uh, naturally healing, walking in at their side, it's not a natural behavior. That's not what the dog wants to do. We need to show them that it's valuable, that it's worth doing that thing. Um, But, you know, if that means that I need to put some uh, restrictions on their access to stuff, uh, regardless of how it feels or sounds, it's worth it because I have seen time and time again that the people who understand that if they just get a little bit of effort from their dog, that in a year, uh, that dog will have freedom. You yes. know, that dog will be able to be off leash, to go to the cottage park. The thing that you want to do with your dog, that dog will be able to do that thing because you've set some rules at the beginning that you've, you've made them earn some of those things that you want to give them up front. Yes, absolutely. And keep in mind as well. I mean, when we talk about, um, when we talk about preventing and taking away options from the dog, we're not, you know, keeping them under our thumb and being angry and militant about that. Of course, of course. We are restricting, but we're also spending all sorts of time building these wonderful skills that they love and teaching them that things like healing are really, really valuable and fun, even though innately there's nothing rewarding to a dog about healing until you start to pair it with our, our, our human things. You know, you pair it with rewards and things like that, then it becomes valuable. But we want to do the same thing with all of our skills. You know, there's really no innate value to the word Ned to a random dog. But if I teach him that every time you hear Ned, wonderful things happen. And in the beginning, there's a lot of food. We use a lot of food in our training to build this value. But then once you get to know your puppy more and you have different systems of rewards to use for them, like the water, for example, or like with with Ned, I talk about butt scratches over head pets all the time because he's not into having his head pet, but he loves a good butt scratch. So those things are very valuable to the, to, to the dog. You can transfer that to the commands that we use as humans. So then the word Ned becomes very valuable to him because every time he responds to it, wonderful things happen. 
you, we've, we've, we've gotten a little bit off topic, we I think. Have. We've gotten in a different <laughs> direction, but I think this is really good stuff for you guys, especially anybody who's working on uh, with a puppy who they feel is stubborn. It, you know, if if they feel like they're it uh, was that word they're not making progress. <laughs> the, these are really important things to keep in mind. So I want to just sort of bring us back mm-hmm. a little bit and let's talk. Let's say an an, an average dog owner's day. Mm-hmm. What that new puppy owner? Mm-hmm. What that might look like? What it would look like in your household? You know, when you first brought Ned home. Yeah, you bet. It's a lot of management in the early days. So there's a lot of crate time so that they're not rehearsing what you don't want them to do when uh, you're not paying attention to them. It, rehearsal will predict behavior. So anytime your dog practices something, whether it's something you like or whether it's something you don't like, that is going to strengthen. So if they're practicing getting their head in the garbage every time you open the cupboard door and they do that every single time you open the door, they're eventually going to get better and better and better at it through rehearsal. So what we want to do is we want to take away that opportunity, which our crates provide. We use dog crates with puppies. I can't even imagine raising a puppy without a crate. We make the crate a really pleasant and wonderful place to be and we use it to keep our puppies safe. And we use it as well to help direct behavior so that as I mentioned, my dog's not getting into mischief when I can't watch him, but I can also build self-control. I can build some independence. I can use that crate as a tool for more than just keeping my puppy safe. I can build all sorts of skills with it as well. Another great opportunity to get in training is at the crate. You can practice your in and out games with the dog. You can practice building in manners. You know, if I go to open the crate door and I have a puppy that tries to burst out, I just gently close the door again. And then I'll try again, open the door. If they go to burst out, gently close it again. On the third or fourth time, you open the door and they hesitate and you can reward that. And then on your cue, you can tell them, okay, and there is a great opportunity. Every time you let your dog out of the crate, there's a great opportunity to train a little bit of self-control with your dog, get in some rewards for doing the right thing and building that positive understanding. I I, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. And, and, that these a couple of things a couple of huge mistakes that i made with deegan my black lab and if you've listened to the show you've heard me talk about her a million times but um i didn't introduce a crate early on i just didn't know to and uh, it led to a bunch of problems it actually led to a bunch of problems for my older dog it was just you know because deegan was a wild thing and and she was really uh she insisted on hopping on and 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 you know playing with that older dog who was you know older and just wasn't interested in that sort of uh interaction but when I did start using a crate with Deacon after some uh, guidance from McCann professional dog trainers, right away, I saw her to, I, I saw these opportunities for training, like not barging out of the crate. That one exercise started to bleed over into like going out the out of the door, coming it's out of my, my pickup truck. You know, these little things, she would start to wait for the cue for that. Okay. Um, because I was doing it several times a day. This is how you're going to build in some of these training exercises into things you're already doing. Yeah. And this go this really speaks to setting your expectations because the dogs are going to do what they do naturally. I mean, it is completely natural for a dog, if a door opens, that they're going to want to go through it and investigate what's on the other side, especially if they're in a situation they deem safe. So it's natural for them to respond to that door opening by bursting out. We just need to change the association and change our expectation for that situation. And we can get so much out of that. It's it's so beneficial to have that extra training in. Yeah. So um, feeding times we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, coming out of the crate, mm-hmm. uh, what other times during the day would you naturally integrate uh, some training 
into. So anything top of mind? Yeah, you bet. You talked about meal times. I love that. I use that a lot. Um, I will do a lot of uh, a lot of training with things like making sure my dog is comfortable with me approaching and retreating and holding on to items of value while they chew. So things like that are sort of part of day to day life, right? If you have a young puppy, I like this one. Let's just talk on this just just a little sure, bit, yeah, a little bit to elaborate on it a little bit because we get so many people who say like, oh, uh, my now my dog's resource guarding a something, whatever the thing is. We should do an episode on that we, for sure. But I think can we just sort of go over briefly mm-hmm. what what you mean when you talk about items moving far closer and farther away with items of value? Absolutely. So without getting into a whole bunch of possession, every puppy, every dog is entitled to possess items in the rules of dogdom. This is a natural behavior. I mean, the dog that sat back and went, no, no, please, after you would not be alive very long in the, in the real world in dogdom. So this is a natural instinct that dog dogs have. A lot of times it really panics people when they see it first come out. So, um, we want to make sure that we set the situation up for our puppies to understand that us approaching, us taking things away from them is nothing they need to worry about. And we actually want to go one step further than that and teach them that it's actually a really positive thing. Because once they get to a certain age and those natural instincts for possession start to kick in, it's a bit like putting the cart before the horse trying to work it at that point because you've already got the instincts kicking in. So if we can take those early days especially, not that it's impossible to fix after, but it's definitely easier if you approach it proactively rather than reactively. So in those early days, doing a lot of work. If your puppy is laying down chewing on something, for example, that is a great opportunity to get in some training by walking up and I throw a little hunk of cheese down for my puppy to eat while they're chewing that bone. And that gives them the very clear message that me approaching is a good thing. And in the initial days, I, I use lower value items for them to chew initially. And I will drop really high value items on them. And then I get to the point where I'll have something that's a little bit more valuable, like a bully stick or something of that nature. And with my puppies, I actually hold on to that. So I'm the one doing the possessing as they hang out on my lap and they can chew that. And it basically gives gives them the idea that me being around while they're chewing is not a threat whatsoever and that I bring value into that chewing situation for them as well. We do the same thing. Yeah, I do like that. And I love what's uh, kind of cool about that is that eventually with some of our dogs, they would bring that, they'd find that bone and they'd bring it over to us for us to hold it, which, uh, you know, it's just, just cute. You should see how fast that, well, you do, you know, you live with retrievers, but like they pick on the up on that so quickly and bring you items left, right and center because it's so rewarding for them on an innate level. A retriever is rewarded by picking things up off the ground or off whatever, by holding things in their mouth. This is an instinct we've bred into retrievers. So very quickly they figure out, oh, if I bring you items, that's a really, really great thing. And of course, you can create a monster very quickly. So you do need to find a balance where they bring you items and they get a good pat on the head or a butt scratch, you know, whatever it is that's valuable for the dog. You can look at that item. Reggie brings me all sorts of things and he just shoves them at me and like, he just wants approval basically. I'll take it from and I'll go that is a really nice bone you are thank you so much for showing yeah. that to me and I give it back the bigger deal I make of it the happier he is and he trots off and goes and chews again it's just this nice warm feeling for giving you items of value yeah. instead of being concerned about about you taking items of value euchre will if uh, if she's out in the kitchen and we're doing something and uh, not paying attention to her specifically not uh, you know not we're not supervising but just not looking at her she'll pick up a, a toy chew bone or right now she's got this floppy frisbee uh, it's like a rubberized thing it's pretty mm-hmm. cool anyway she really likes it but she'll bring it and she'll 
push it against the backs of our legs. <laughs> and it's almost to a point now where I say, okay, I'm, I've had enough of this. You know, I might need to either remove that thing or, or manage her a little bit better when we're in the kitchen. But th- that's exactly what we've created. Yes. We've created a dog that's really uh, a high drive to retrieve and, and bring something back to you. And what a great situation that is. Absolutely. I remember with Hippie Shake, our toy poodle one time, Kayla's out on a walk and, uh, Hippie was, uh, she was, I don't know, she was a couple of few years old maybe at that point and, and Kale's out on a walk and Hippie finds a, a dove on the ground. Oh. Yeah, dead, dead dove. Picked it up, walked over toward Kale and Kale re- saw it in her mouth. She, Hippie, bring that over here. And without hesitation, yeah. Hippie ran over, drop it. Hippie drops the dead bird on the ground. Uh, you know, if, if that were, if she, if Hippie hadn't been reinforced for uh, number one, giving something up, number two, bringing it t- toward us, it could have been pretty a pretty gross situation. And I know a lot of people might be out for a walk with their dogs and the dog picks something up and they're like, oh, what is that? And then, you know, they charge after the dog and the dog's like, oh, I better eat this quickly. Uh, you know, <laughs> but but reinforcing some yeah. of these things and teaching your dog that, uh, you know, I, I, I bring great uh, things of greater value than that thing that you've got there early on is absolutely there's so much utility in that in that exercise. You bet. You just reminded me of uh, a Facebook memory actually showed up little while ago, fairly recently of Ned when he was a puppy. And uh, it was a sh- it was a photo of him laying down with a dead frog in front of him. And the caption that I had put on it, and I had forgotten all about it, the caption I had put on it, it was, when your puppy finds a dead frog, but does a great recall back to you. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah. Uh, okay, hopefully yeah. you have a drop it so you don't have to touch the dead frog. But yeah, he was about six months old. I think I remember <laughs> you posting that at some point. <laughs> And as long as it doesn't, you don't... Oh, the humanity. You know. <laughs> it was on the property here. Oh, okay, so well. probably, yeah. And it was in Kermit. So, I mean, everything turned out <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, but, lucky for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but these sorts of things, integrating training into your day is, is, is going to speed up your training, number one. Uh, but it's also going to teach your puppy that... It's, they should always listen. Yes. You, know, you never know when you're going to be rewarded for something um, that uh, that you're, you're doing naturally or you're going to be rewarded for something where you put in just a little bit of effort to get something you really, really want. Absolutely. And it's so empowering because it takes this task that seems really giant and overwhelming and it, it simplifies it. It breaks it down into small, manageable chunks that you can do in your day, in your regular I life. Yeah. I do too. You know what? It, it, it makes me feel so much better when I think about all of the extra time I get in by working things like this and getting the repetition in with my dogs. And then every time I get a puppy, I think, yeah, you know what? I'll just, I'll just do that again and everything will come together. It's, it's far less overwhelming. Absolutely. So I hope we've taken some of the challenge out of, uh, out of training for your, uh, our listeners today, figuring out how to, how to, you know, take advantage of some of these natural training opportunities that come up throughout the day in uh, doing small training sessions, short little uh, things with your dog to get more drive, to get better results, to help your dog to learn more quickly and to ultimately have a well-behaved four-legged family member who loves to listen. I want to thank you guys for listening. And uh, on that note, I'm Ken. I'm Shannon. Happy training, guys. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.